Well, we are very frustrated. We are so angry. Tonight on the news hour, tragedy under the rubble. The relatives of the worker killed in a building collapse arrive in Canada with unanswered questions. Plus, we lost uh, a family cabin, a uh, powerhouse, uh, two sheds. Disastrous deja vu. Dozens under evacuation order near Lytton with all eyes on the wind. And to see it deteriorate over the past few years, you know, it's sad. Returning to revitalize a longtime Chinatown barber on a mission reopens his doors. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Family and friends of the man killed in a rooftop parking lot collapse in East Vancouver are angry and asking unanswered questions tonight. Ben Satella was on the job on Thursday when the building caved in around him. His body was only recovered late yesterday. Now his loved ones, including a brother from his native Mexico, are looking for answers. Julia Foy begins our coverage with an exclusive interview with Satello's family. <laughs> There were hugs and tears at Vancouver International Airport Saturday as the family of 40-year-old Ben Sotelo arrived from Mexico. We are here to give to my brother the very last kiss and let him go. Sotelo was working at Gisela's Pastry on Lougheed Highway on Thursday. There were 90 people inside the building when the parkade on the upper floor began to collapse. Most escaped, but eight people had to be rescued from the rubble. Sotelo was missing. Rescuers searched for 28 hours before his body was discovered. I want to thank all the rescue people that was working on the site. My family and I appreciate their effort. WorkSafe BC is now investigating why the accident occurred as a bobcat was doing construction work above the bakery. Whether or not that was expected for the loads that were on it, what, and they'll be looking to see evidence of corrosion or other deterioration that might have exacerbated the situation. The family is also demanding answers. Well, we are very frustrated. We are so angry because this should not be happening. The accident is eerily similar to one that happened in 1996. An adjacent property's rooftop parking caved in when a cement truck was doing repairs. No one was hurt. Green says there are strong regulations and building codes in place to prevent this kind of accident. I do expect that uh, we will find out that it was a combination of some factors that resulted in this. So tragic loss of life. Sotelo says Ben has been living with his husband in Vancouver for five years. He loved to travel and was a shining light for his family. In the middle of this darkness, we send a message as a family, go with your brother or go with your sister and give him or give her a huge kiss and say to them how much do you love him. Julia Foy, Global News. Memorial services are being held today and this evening in Surrey for one of the province's most polarizing figures, Raputaman Singh Malik, two days after he was killed in a brazen daylight shooting. Oh, 
Mourners gathered at the Khalsa School in Newton this morning, one of several schools founded by 75-year-old Malik. Another service is being held tonight. Malik was fatally shot in his vehicle in a parking lot not far from his clothing business on Thursday morning. He was one of two men acquitted in the 1985 Air India terrorist bombings that killed 331 people, most of them Canadian citizens and permanent residents. Malik's son does not believe his father's murder was connected to the bombings, but says he does not know what the motive may have been. A private funeral service is expected to be held next week. And homicide investigators don't seem to know the motive either at this point, asking the public for help in tracking down whoever pulled the trigger. This surveillance footage of a suspect vehicle in the case was released on Friday. The newer model Honda CRV was seen near the scene of the shooting just before Malik was killed. Investigators believe whoever was inside was targeting him. The same vehicle was found burning minutes after the shooting, not far from the crime scene. If you have any information on this vehicle or its occupants, contact the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team. It's been a busy week for homicide investigators with a high-profile gang member shot and killed in Burnaby on Thursday. The victim was the subject of a public safety warning earlier this year after he was presumed to be the target of two previous shootings, one of which saw an innocent father shot in front of his son. Kristen Robinson has more on Christopher Irwin and the charges he was facing at the time of his death. This was the end of the road for Christopher Irwin. The 31-year-old found dead in a gravel lot near a vacant building in an industrial area of Burnaby Thursday morning in what is believed to be a targeted homicide. Police believe a vehicle fire hours earlier in New Westminster is linked to Irwin's death. It was the third and final attempt on Irwin's life in just over seven months. Last December, Coquitlam RCMP suspect Irwin was the intended target of a shooting on Chickadee Place. A father was shot in his vehicle while his nine-year-old son was in the back seat. The victim of what investigators believe was mistaken identity survived. In late March, a red Toyota RAV4 went up in flames in Port Moody shortly after Irwin was wounded in a second shooting on Chickadee Place. At the time, police warned anyone associating with Irwin may be putting themselves at risk. Irwin was also set for trial this September on four counts of dangerous driving causing bodily harm in a 2020 crash on Highway 99 south of Whistler. Irwin's Land Rover allegedly collided with a silver Lamborghini, sending the supercar into the oncoming lane where it struck a Toyota Corolla. Several people, including two children, were injured. Homicide investigators want to hear from witnesses and associates of Irwin in order to build a timeline of his whereabouts before his body was found. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And we now know the identity of a woman killed in a double shooting in Maple Ridge yesterday. 35-year-old Kashmir Ali was one of two people shot inside a home in the 22600 block of 119 Avenue shortly after 8.30 on Friday morning. Ali died a short while later in hospital. The other victim, a man, is expected to survive. Homicide investigators say the shooting does not appear to be random and the public is not appeared to be at risk. Investigators are now looking for dash cam footage from anyone traveling near that crime scene before 10 o'clock on Friday morning. To the wildfire watch in this province now and cautious optimism near Lytton tonight where the Nahoman Creek wildfire has seen little growth today. Still, evacuation orders remain in place as fire crews work to get the upper hand on the blaze which broke out on Thursday and quickly exploded out of control. Catherine Urquhart now with the story of one family who's already lost several structures. 
Tanya and Rick Peterkin survey damage to their property from the Nahoman Creek wildfire. A number of buildings on their property are destroyed. We lost uh, a family cabin, a powerhouse, uh, two sheds. Um, we have a shipping container full of chainsaws, pole saws, all equipment. Uh, we lost a chicken coop, a greenhouse. Fortunately, their house survived after they smelled smoke and rushed to douse the flames. I was hosing it down. Our daughter had already called 911. And then within the 10 minutes later, Rick's mom and dad and our Marley evacuated with the dogs. And Rick and I stayed to fight to save the two houses. The out-of-control fire is burning about 1.7 kilometres northwest of Lytton, on the west side of the Fraser River. Acting Chief of Lytton First Nation says losses so far are devastating. For sure, we have suffered seven homes that were fully occupied that are destroyed. So we do have to work with those families and ensure that they have the peace and security to know where they're going to stay for the next while. On a positive note, one elder's home thought to have burned down remains standing. Also, BC Wildfire says winds are blowing the flames west, away from populated areas. And then the crews out there today will be working in the same areas on the north and south flanks, just continuing to establish those control lines um, and doing structure protection on the north flank. And on the south flank, uh, we're putting in some additional helipads just to help with access for crews. This fire comes only a year after a wildfire burned down most of Lytton, and people here are preparing themselves in case it gets worse. People are working now to get their animals out of the danger zone and working towards moving a perishable frozen meat from their freezers in the homes that are standing. For Rick and Tanya Peterkin, this is the sixth wildfire they've dealt with in the past 21 years. The two credit neighbours with helping them to save their house. We're very thankful that our houses are still here and it's just tough, tough seeing other people lose, lose stuff, you know, and, and, lose, and so much. lose more than mm-hmm. anyone yeah. deserves. What sparked the Nahoman Creek wildfire remains under investigation. Numerous evacuation orders and alerts in the Lytton area remain in place. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Technical issues continue to plague the agency that handles most of the 911 calls in this province tonight. Technical issues knocked out police and fire non-emergency lines in the Lower Mainland for several hours this afternoon. And now concerned people may turn to 911 to report minor crimes. Ecom issuing this tweet asking people only to call 911 in life or death emergencies. The agency says ambulance dispatch has not been affected by the outage. There have been several disruptions to 911 service, including outages at communications providers amid struggles bringing on new staff to meet growing call demands. Well, it is official. British Columbians will know the name of their new premier before the end of this year. The BC NDP has released the long-awaited rules for the race to succeed John Horgan. And anyone interested in the province's top job had better get a move on. Our Richard Zussman joins us now from Victoria with details and context on this. Richard, good to see you. Now we've finally got a better idea of how this leadership race will unfold. What exactly can we expect to see? 
A lot of pressure here, Sarah, on BC NDP members. Not only are they going to be choosing their new leader, they will be choosing the Premier of British Columbia. The party announcing this afternoon the details. Four party members, it will be one member, one vote, a preferential ballot ranked. So based on that, uh, once the people you have up high on the ballot drop off, then uh, they go until someone gets more than 50%. That assumes though there's a lot of people in this race and we don't know that yet. And the key part of that is the timeline. So let's have a look at what's going to unfold over the next few months. So to be eligible to vote in this leadership, you must become an NDP member by September 4th. The voting then begins for the leadership on November 13th and the new leader will be announced on December 3rd and then there will be a transition time and that new premier, the new leader of the party, will be sworn in at some point, likely in the middle of December, ending John Horgan's term and then allowing this person to become BC's new premier, whoever wins that leadership. Okay, whoever wins that leadership, that is the big question. Now that we know the details and the rules, the big question is who's going to run? There is an obvious, I think, front runner here as well. Yeah, there sure is. And we expect at some point as early as the next few days, Attorney General David Eby will announce that he is running uh, for the BC NDP leadership. We have seen high-profile ministers Ravi Kalon and Bowen Ma announce they are not running and instead encouraging Eby to run. The expectation is he will announce that soon. The wild card in all of this is Finance Minister Selena Robinson. Just a few weeks ago, Sarah, she was telling people she was not interested in running to be the leader, but she is very interested in having a woman in this race and it seems potentially she could be the only one that fills that void. So there's still a lot of questions about whether she is going to take a shot at it. If Selena Robinson doesn't run, there is a possibility that even though all these leadership rules are out there, that David Eby is the only one interested. Ultimately, it would be a coronation and in December they would announce officially that he is a leader. But still decisions to be made by BC NDP supporters and potential candidates. As we now know the rules, it makes it easier to make that decision if they want to take a shot at the top job. Yeah, absolutely. Some clarity. Okay, should be interesting. We'll wait and see. Richard Zuspin, thanks so much. Yeah. <laughs> A Kelowna fire captain is off the job tonight facing child pornography charges. 50-year-old Jason Todd John Studley is facing charges of secretly filming nudity in a private place and making or publishing child pornography. The charges stem from incidents that allegedly took place in Coldstream in late June and early July of this year. Studley is not in custody at this point, but he is on leave from his position at the Kelowna Fire Department. He'll be back in court later this month. And a nurse in the Kootenays is also off the job tonight, suspended for six months for creating fake COVID-19 vaccine cards. Sarah Jones of Castlegar has agreed to the suspension by the BC College of Nurses and Midwives. The college says she used her position, experience and knowledge of the vaccination system to create four fake vaccine cards last year. Her conduct was determined to be a departure from the ethical conduct expected from a nurse in this province. Jones has also agreed to a remedial education in professional ethics as part of her suspension. Coming up, we'll take you to the festival celebrating all things African plus. And it does put a strain on any emergency services. The rising risk on the shoe swap and the weekend warning to boaters and paddlers and recognition a long time coming of Vancouver Skateboard Park gets plaqued. We'll tell you why just after the break. 
Welcome back. Well, so many people around the province are trying to enjoy an outdoor getaway this weekend, but those in the Shoe Swap region are being warned to stay out of the local river if they're not on a boat. With higher than normal water levels right now, anyone in or on the river could put themselves and others at risk. Victoria Famia reports. Murky and fast-moving water prompted a warning from the Shuswap River ambassadors to stay off the Shuswap River as the water has reached levels that are higher than normal for this time of year. And so far, most people seem to be following the organization's instructions. We're not recommending people to go on the water. Um, just with the increased force of the river, then it is more likely that you can get sucked under uh, sweepers and log jams. And there's a lot of debris and the water conditions are very murky, so you can't see all the hazards that are there. Uh, this is not a controlled channel. It is a river, so we do have a lot more environmental hazards versus a controlled channel or canal. While recreational activities are not recommended on the water at this time, it is not banned and the organization has already received reports of recent rescues. We did have reports from a resident um, saying that they did pull a group of uh, people off the river this week. Um, just they were in a bad situation and so local residents have pulled people off. When people go against the advisory, Wells says not only are they at risk, but also those that are tasked to save them when things go wrong. It's disappointing because it does put other people at risk. So local residents, it's not their job to be rescuing people off the river um, and it puts them at risk going out to save people and other floaters and then it puts our search and rescue um, and it does put a strain on any emergency services when people are going out and need to be rescued. One Enderby resident who has been coming to the Shuswap River for the last five years says she's never seen it this high at this time of year. She recommends anyone who plans to go by the water while is in this condition to not go beyond the shorelines. As the water's not clear and you, you have all that under, you got the undercurrent and you got all the big logs that still come out, yeah, it's not good. There's no word yet on how long it will take for the water to decrease to levels where it is safe to float and do other recreational activities on it. However, it could take up to a couple weeks. Victoria Famia, Global News. A special honor now for Vancouver's oldest skateboard park. Amid the unmistakable sights and sounds of skateboarders practicing their moves, a new plaque was unveiled today at China Creek Skate Park. It tells the story of the park near Broadway and Clark Streets in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood. In fact, until the early 2000s, this was the only skate park in the city. It's now being recognized as part of the Vancouver Heritage Foundation's Places That Matter program. We're now at a time where we're recognizing that skateboarding is a very important part of what makes Vancouver tick. Vancouver is a city where people like to be physically active, like to pursue sport, and Vancouver is actually a center of skateboarding in Canada and internationally. Some of the best skateboarders in the world have come from Vancouver. I mean, skateboarding history in Vancouver is long-standing and very unique, and it's been very under-recognized, but this is the first official skate park, so I think that is really why we don't want this history to be forgotten. A celebration of African arts, culture and heritage has returned to Vancouver this weekend. The 8th annual African Descent Festival is taking place at Thornton Park until Sunday. It aims to showcase the best in African music, arts, crafts and culture. We are ensuring that we create programs that we bring people together, no matter their background, no matter their religion, their affiliation, their race. We don't want discrimination anymore in Canada. 
And uh, what one of the major reasons why we have this program is for us to be able to, uh, to also support the Canadian government in their fight against racism. We believe this is, a, this is an opportunity for people to come together. Coming up, careful choreography in the Middle East. U.S. President Joe Biden wraps a controversial and closely watched visit to Saudi Arabia with a parting promise. Plus, scorching heat and punishing flames. Hundreds now dead as Europe swelters under the climate crisis. The area's hardest hit. That's out the break. Welcome back. The U.S. president has wrapped a controversial four-day visit to the Middle East. Joe Biden spent much of his day in Saudi Arabia promoting America's foreign policy and assuring leaders of his commitment to their security. After meetings with the leaders of Egypt, Iraq, and the United Arab Emirates, U.S. President Joe Biden pledged a stronger relationship with the Middle East as other superpower nations threaten regions throughout the world. But the United States is going to remain an active, engaged partner in the Middle East. We will not walk away and leave a vacuum to be filled by China, Russia, or Iran. The president's visit to Saudi Arabia has drawn harsh criticism from Republicans and the widow of former Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi, who was a frequent critic of the kingdom. Biden met with Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, who U.S. intelligence concluded was behind Khashoggi's murder. When you're president, you got to deal with people you don't like as well as people you do like. And we have an alignment of interest. Biden and the kingdom did negotiate an increase of Saudi oil production. The U.S. has seen the highest gas prices in history since the president took office, hitting Americans hard. I had planned to travel in uh, the northern part of the United States this year, but can't do it with the fuel prices. With inflation hitting a 40-year high back home, Biden made his first Middle East visit as president. The White House is looking for a win as polls show Biden's job approval numbers continue to plummet. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Now to more shocking gun violence in the United States. Police in Utah have released body camera footage of an armed confrontation they had with a four-year-old child back in February. The boy saw police arresting his father, grabbed a gun, and started shooting. McDonald's employees grabbed their cell phones and started recording as police confronted a man who had just threatened them with a gun in the drive-thru. He said they messed up his surf and turf burger. As employees hid, the cops outside tried to figure out who fired the gun. To their disbelief, the shooter was a four-year-old child in the father's car. Cops rushed the kids inside while other officers handcuffed the father, Sadat Johnson. The little kid. Police say the four-year-old told them, quote, I grabbed my dad's gun and tried to shoot the police so he could be free and do what he wanted. Cops realized this was a close call for them and the kids in the car. Our freaking heads were all right there. I mean, had it been lower... Meantime, in Europe, a heat wave sweeping the continent is being blamed for more than 300 deaths. Thousands of people have been forced to leave their homes as fire crews try to, con- 
controlled the flames of wildfires. The fires are stretching from the central parts of Spain out to the southwest of France. Temperatures in Portugal have soared above 46 degrees Celsius and tomorrow is expected to be even hotter. In health matters, the Centers for Disease Control in the U.S. are warning doctors to be on the lookout for a dangerous virus in infants right across North America. This week, the CDC issued an alert for cases of pericovirus. Cases of the virus have already been reported in multiple states, but Tuesday's alert does not say which states have seen infections or how many cases have been reported. The virus, which spreads through sneezing, coughing, saliva and feces, can cause seizures, meningitis and other severe illnesses in infants. Uh under three months old. Coming up, tradition meets modern as a Vancouver mainstay makes a post-pandemic return. The festival celebrating Chinese cuisine, culture and so much more is back. We'll take you to the Chinatown Festival after the break. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Welcome back and welcome to Shell. A bit of a mixed day out there today with Yeah, weather. depending where you are. Welcome, Sarah. We're so happy to have you on the news Thank hour. You. It's great to have you joining us. So uh, weather-wise today, we are seeing a bit more cloud cover, especially as we get in towards this evening. Bit of a blip in the forecast over the next two, but the sunshine is going to make a return, and we are going to see some hot conditions along the south coast. First off, we're sitting at 20. We've got a southerly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. A few other spots across the province today. It was still warm. Lytton getting up to 28 degrees. Kamloops 30. Trail the day up to 33 degrees and Lillooet with highs up to 27 degrees. Overnight tonight, so there's that cloud cover. We're even leaving it a slight chance for an isolated shower. We'll see it into the morning hours. A bit drier towards the afternoon with highs getting up to 21 degrees and then as we get in towards tomorrow evening, we've got more cloud cover in the mix as well. Now we are tracking some instability. We are going to continue to see that, especially as we get in through the day and I've put the future cast into play now. A few areas to highlight will be for the southern interior. Afternoon and early evening, all areas is extending into the southeastern corners. We'll be looking at the chance for some showers and the risk of thunderstorms in the mix before it does dissipate. An update with the fire danger rating, especially for the southern half now, we're starting to see some of the oranges and yellows, which is moderate to high, into the southeastern corners and much of the northern half. With the rainfall that we've been tracking, though, along the north and central coast, we're still sitting at it very low to low. Now, the concern will be the risk of thunderstorms that could ignite some of the fires across the region. We've also got that smoky skies bulletin. All areas for the Fraser Canyon, that's Lillooet, extending in towards Lytton as well, will or are being impacted or will be impacted by the wildfires within the next 24 and 48 hours. So a heads up, especially those with respiratory issues, we'll be watching that very closely and we'll be watching the thunderstorms that will pop up through the region. Wanted to show you the temperature trend just to see where we're at. As we get into early next week, it's past Monday. It'll warm up once again in many areas into the interior. We'll start to see those temperatures into the low or mid and upper 30s. Now, the northern half of the province, different weather story for tomorrow. It'll be dry across the board. The northeastern corner is even warming up to 27 degrees. Now it's the southern half into the interior that will see that slight chance for some showers, but the risk of thunderstorms will pop up and a few spots will see those winds tomorrow with gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. A bit of instability have left that in along the island, especially uh, right along the Sunshine Coast. So we could see a few thunderstorms in the mix. It's our five-day forecast. A, few cloud co- a bit of cloud cover, a few showers. We'll see that in towards our Monday morning and then sunshine and it's it's warming up, Sarah, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, away from the water, anywhere between 27 and 28 degrees. Sarah? Wow, looking hot early next week. Thanks you so bet. much, Yvonne. Those overcast and cloudy skies did not stop crowds from attending the TD Vancouver Chinatown Festival today as it celebrates its 20th anniversary this weekend. 
A traditional lion dance performance to bring good fortune and prosperity kicked off the opening ceremonies today. The Chinatown Festival is taking over Columbia and Kiefer Streets through Sunday, marking the return to in-person events in an open-air, safe and inclusive environment. Two decades of culture, history and community are being celebrated with food trucks, live entertainment and family-friendly activities. It's important because, you know, we've, we've been uh, away for two years and now, uh, you know, it's really to remind people that this is a jewel in the city. And, uh, you know, we have so much support from across the lower mainland. But, uh, you know, come and, come and uh, enjoy the fun and, and at the same time support the, the businesses and, and the restaurants in the neighborhood. And beaches in Vancouver are getting some of their long-lost logs back this weekend. The city's park board says the logs will roll onto beaches, including English Bay, in anticipation of the celebration of lights. The logs were put in place there in the 1960s, but most were removed in 2020 to encourage physical distancing during the pandemic. The park board says the move resulted in less garbage and less dangerous materials around those logs. Well, it'll be good to see them back and good yeah. to see both of you guys, yeah. Gary and Yvonne. Mary, I, I had to take a double take. I kept looking and I'm trying to figure out what was different, but mm -hmm. it's, the, it's the shave, right? Please. Right. Because well, I kept smiling at you and I'm like, what uh, is happening? I thought, you know, I could get some sun on my face, but that right. didn't work so well today. Thanks, no. Yvonne. <laughs> but hey, it's summertime. You've got to lighten up a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's a great day at uh, the British Open in Scotland. No Tiger Woods, unfortunately, this weekend, but uh, lots of star power with a lot of great shots. So big highlights from around three and uh, exciting baseball featuring the Blue Jays and the Mariners who just refuse to lose. They haven't lost for a couple of weeks. So that's all coming up. All right. Looking forward to that. Thank you, Barry. Thanks, Yvonne. We'll see you guys soon. Coming up, a homecoming with a mission. So that they feel safe to come down to China now. They've been for a while. They don't feel safe. Revitalizing one of Vancouver's most historic neighborhoods, the business boost, injecting new life into Chinatown's economy. That's after the break. ABC, it's time to show your pride. Join the fun and festivities as the Vancouver Pride Parade returns July 31st. Let's all celebrate together again in partnership with Global BC. Welcome back. Vancouver's Chinatown has faced ongoing challenges in recent years, including street disorder and anti-Asian racism, both of those exacerbated by the pandemic. But as Kristen Robinson explains, two business partners have moved back to the historic neighborhood because they want to be part of the solution. With new shutters installed on a storefront that's been vacant for years, this is now a window of opportunity for Dustin Grant. It feels like a homecoming. Grant opened his first barbershop in Chinatown nine years ago, but had to leave in 2017, partly due to a rent hike. Now he wants to help bring the neighborhood back. It's one of the most beautiful historical parts of the city, and uh, to see it deteriorate over the past few years the way that it, had, it was, uh, it was, you know, it's sad. His business partner runs a men's clothing store in the same space, and together, they hope to give back. I think we're really trying to offer, try to help clean up the community, bring like, you know, a whole new vibe and hopefully uh, have the tourism come down back here again. The building is owned by one of the Chinatown Society Associations. Its ground level had been empty since the Peking Lounge Furniture Store, known for its window displays, closed in 2015. Everything, including the floor, was in disrepair. Last 10 years, nobody do nothing. 
Mike Jang's society spent thousands restoring the space, and he was on hand to watch the new chapter unfold. They, they feel more comfortable to run businesses in Chinatown now. So it's a matter of to build that confidence in people so that they feel safe to come down to Chinatown. Before, they stay away from it because they, well, I guess, don't look good. Right now, they still looking good. Perry Lamb's roots in the community also allowed them to get a break on rent on a five-year lease. We now have a solid landlord that wants a solid business here and not the type of landlord that just wants to squeeze every cent out of you every time your lease is up. The pair, hoping their business will be a cut above in a neighborhood facing its share of challenges. Kristen Robinson, Global News. After the break, Barry is back with sports, plus a Barry happy birthday. A local mountain's resident bears celebrate a very big day. That's coming out. Stay with us. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to know, it's on the hub. The Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Celebrate Pride and Recovery in New West. Head to New West Pride on August 13th and be sure to catch the Untoxicated Drag Show. See local and international drag superstars as they raise awareness and end stigma of addiction recovery. Cleansoberandproud.com for info. Rockin' River Festival returns to Merritt, B.C. for another legendary four days of music, friends, and good times by the river. Don't miss the great festival with headliners including Tim McGraw and Darius Rucker. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the hub. The Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Welcome back and welcome back, Barry. Mm-hmm. Good day in golf today across oh, the Oh, yeah. Every time the, mm-hmm. the golf majors are so fun. There's always uh, fantastic <laughs> shots. It's, no kidding. That's why you will sit in front of your TV for eight or ten hours and watch golf. But nothing from Tiger today. Well, he might have been watching along with us because mm-hmm. he didn't make the cut, unfortunately. All right. Thanks, Sarah. It would have been great to see Tiger Woods play uh, the weekend at the old course. But some of the game's current stars provided plenty of spectacular shots today in the third round of the Open Championship from St. Andrews, Scotland. And two of them, in particular, separated themselves from the pack in pursuit of that claret jug. Beautiful day at St. Andrews. Very little wind, and the players really did chew up the old course. A lot of low scores today. Shane Lowry, the Irishman who won the Open Championship back in 2019. How about this? Second shot on the short par 4 ninth. Goes in for an eagle two. Next hole, this is not a replay. Similar shot and similar result. Do you believe back-to-back eagle? Seems like only the second time that's ever happened in the PGA Tour history. Picks up four shots, but he did finish at minus seven, tied 13th. Norway's Victor Hovland playing with uh, new clubs after his bag didn't arrive for the Irish Open last week. The only one he had was his putter. Well, it's been working. How about that long bomb on the fourth? put him into a tie for the lead with Cam Smith of Australia. Hovland was making them from everywhere. Another birdie at six, his fourth straight birdie. He's got the solo lead at 14 under. To the 10th hole, Hovland's playing partner, Rory McIlroy, drove his tee ball into the pot bunker. Usually that means trouble at the old course, but not this time. Rory, he knocks it in for eagle. How many eagles can these guys get in one day? Tied him for the lead with Hovland at 15 under. 
Uh, not a good day for Cam Smith. The 36-hole leader after that 8-under-64 yesterday made a couple of bogeys. This one at the 13th, 1-over-73, but he is still tied for third at minus 12. Dustin Johnson representing the Live Tour. 5-under-67 yesterday, but uh, didn't have it today. Puts it right off the green. Three bogeys in a four-hole stretch for DJ. He's at 10 under Seventh place, world number one, Scotty Scheffler. Always, it seems, in contention. Nice uh, long putt here to save his par. He's hanging around. He birdied the 18th, shot a 69, and he's at 11 under, tied for fifth. But it's Rory and Hovland who've been uh, running the show today. Grabs the outright lead on 14, the long par five. From 278, pummels it onto the green, and he would two-putt there for a birdie, and Rory had the lead. He did give it back at 17 and made a bogey, so playing 18, Hovland and McElroy once again tied, and Rory's drive just in front of the green on the par four. Boy, they've been driving the ball so far. It's so dry in the fairways, but a great shot by Rory. Tapped it in for birdie. Hovland has also been very good reading the speed of the greens. He, too, with a fantastic shot, and that's for Eagle. Cozies it up for a birdie. It looks like a two-man race. Hovland and McElroy tied at the top, 16-under. They have a four-shot lead over Cam Smith and Cameron Young. Corey Connors, the only Canadian to make the cut, is well back at minus three. The uh, Lions were back at practice this afternoon after their second bye week of the season. They are getting ready to host Hamilton on Thursday. Lions are coming off their first loss of the season last weekend against Winnipeg. So they should be motivated to get back on the winning track. Lions were hoping to get a little help from the Argos today. Toronto took on the Rough Riders in Touchdown Atlantic, a game played in Nova Scotia. West teams had been 13-1 against the East so far this season. The only loss, the Riders against the Alouettes. Saskatchewan is down seven in the fourth, but Cody Fajardo to Duke Williams. It's a 32-yard touchdown pass. Williams taking it in stride and then taking it to the house. That tied it. Riders would take a 24-22 lead late in the fourth. And they had the ball trying to kill some clock, but Fajardo is picked off by Winton McManus. And he's not stopping till he gets into the end zone. A game-winning pick six for Toronto. They win at 30-24. Argos now lead the East at 2-2. Two and two. Riders drop to 4-2, and two, and the Lions will gladly take the help. Also today, Ticats, who the Lions play on Thursday, taking on the Red Blacks. Both teams 0-4, so one of those O's had to go. First half, Dane Evans at QB for the Ticats. How about this catch, though, by Stephen Dunbar? Fantastic one-handed grab. Ticats on the move. A few plays after that, Evans buys some time and then fires a laser to Anthony Johnson. That's a 15-yard touchdown, 18-10, Hamilton at the half. But in the fourth quarter, the red-black defense comes up big. Evans escapes the pressure, eludes one tackle, but then on the second attempt, fumbles a mad scramble. The red, blocks, red Blacks rather recover on the one-yard line, punched it in for a touchdown on the next play, led 23-18, but Evans makes up for it. Third and goal in the dying seconds, and he hits Tim White for the game-winning touchdown as Hamilton gets its first win, 25-23. Ottawa, the only winless team in the CFL at 0-5. Baseball today, Blue Jays and Royals from Toronto. Santiago Espinal is going to the All-Star game, replacing the Astros' Jose Altuve. Five Jays will play at Dodger Stadium Tuesday. Guerrero, Kirk, Springer, Manoa, and now Espinal. 
Jays down 3-1 in the fourth, but Springer with a clutch two-out hit to left. That scores two, ties the game 3-3. Stays that way into extra innings. Jordan Romano, the Jays' closer, the Ontario boy, but he gives up a rare long ball. Vinny Pasquantino with a two-run shot to right. The Jays are in shock. They're down 5-3 to the Royals who are down to 10 uh, down 10 players in the series because of they uh, are unvaccinated and can't play in Canada but Toronto in the bottom of the 10th rally Vladdy Guerrero Jr with a double off the wall scores Springer and it's 5 to 4 and then Raimel Tapia will bounce one up the middle and Guerrero is going to try to score from second and he will slide in safely Ties it up, 5-5. Jays are all pumped up. Can they complete the comeback? Teoscar Hernandez chops one through the left side. Tapia's got great speed. He's going to race around to score the winning run. A huge comeback victory for Toronto. 6-5 the final. Toronto plays its final game before the All-Star break tomorrow. Also today, the Mariners going for a 13th straight win in Texas against the Rangers. It went to extras where J.P. Crawford pulls one inside the bag at first with the infield playing in. Go-ahead run scores. M's win their 13th straight 3-2 the final. Their franchise record is 15 straight set in 2001. Seattle has now won 21 of 24. They're in the second wild card spot in the American League. World Track and Field Championships going on in Oregon. That's Kelowna's Jerome Blake. Has a great season in the men's 100. Needs a top three in his heat last night to advance to the semis tonight. American Trayvon Bromel won the heat in a speedy 989. Blake finished fourth and did not make the semis. Very disappointing for him, but he will run in the men's four by one relay for Canada. Now, two Canadians did make it to the semis tonight. This just happened moments ago. Andre de Grasse, the Olympic gold medal champ in the 200, bronze in the 100, but he's had to skip the Canadians last month here in Langley because he had COVID and he is not in fine form because of that. Barely got into the semis and he finished fifth in his semifinal heat won by Fred Curley of the U.S. So no finals for Andre de Grasse, but good news, Aaron Brown just got in on the final uh, qualifying spot, the ninth and final qualifying spot. That men's 100 final goes tonight in about an hour's time. The Whitecaps are hoping to have midfielder Andres Kubash back in the lineup tomorrow night in Portland. Kubash left the game last week versus Minnesota at halftime with an adductor injury, and the Caps' defense pretty much fell apart, giving up three goals in a 3-1 loss. He really keeps things together in the midfield and defensively for Vancouver. Whitecaps currently 10th in the West, but just a point behind Portland and two points out of the final playoff spot. And some MLS today, an all-Canadian battle. Montreal and Toronto. Montreal fourth in the East. TFC second last. And Montreal gets on the board in the second half. The cross headed in, but it was friendly fire. Lucas McNaughton scored on his own net. Montreal will take it. They win it 1-0. And, of course, Toronto and Vancouver play for the Canadian Championship July 26th at BC Place. There he goes. Okay, lots going on. Mm -hmm, As always. Um, Barry, have you ever seen a grizzly bear eating a birthday cake? Uh, I've seen it eating humans <laughs> on movies. No, I've not okay, seen well, the birthday cake. You are about to in just a few minutes because coming up, <laughs> we're going to go to Gross Mountain on a very big day for its resident grizzlies. That's after the break. Stay with us.
Welcome back, Vaughn and Barry. Our Barry delay was actually on Gross Mountain today doing the grouse grind, the grind. which is impressive. Very fitting. Did not see the bears. You did not see the bears. <laughs> Two out of breath. <laughs> you missed out on a very special treat. Was on hand for a pair on the North Shore, turning 21 years young today. Take a look. <laughs> A special birthday cake was unveiled at the top of Grouse Mountain this afternoon for Kula and Grinder, the mountain's resident grizzly bears, to enjoy and feast on. The orphaned pair live on a mountaintop refuge to help educate the public about caring for grizzlies and the challenges the animals face in the wild. Today's celebrations will benefit the Grizzly Bear Foundation's orphaned grizzly bear cub rewilding research. People really get have really come to know Grinder and Kula. They are an intimate part of the scene in Vancouver and North Vancouver. Um, people really appreciate their presence here. They're good ambassadors for their species. And uh, this is a great opportunity to uh, also contribute to the, uh, the, the funds of the great uh, Grizzly Bear Foundation. Um, they're up here as big supporters and we're big supporters of them. Looks like a delicious watermelon cake, I think. Looks also really foggy there, Yvonne. Yeah, it was a bit of a mixed bag today. We may see actually more cloud cover, especially for the morning hours. Something to keep in mind. And then a greater chance for some showers late in the day for tomorrow. We need to get past our Monday. And then we're rebounding back into some sunshine. It's warming up into early next week. Okay, looking good. That's all for us tonight. Thank you for being with us. And thank you for having me here on the Weekend News Hour. Barry Yvonne will be seeing a lot more of each other going forward because I will be here now on the weekends Welcome. taking over from our colleague and friend Nithu as she moves on to Global National. So thanks as always for tuning in. We'll see you right back here tomorrow, all three of us. Happy Saturday. Good night. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.